0: God says to love one another as yourself. It's summarized in my opinion. No, it's not my opinion. It's the truth. In order for us to live, to love others as yourself, the only way to do that is to sacrifice. And as we sacrifice, what God really desires us to do is for us to be able to, to do the life together how else was going to be able to fulfill the love language without really doing the life together. This past Friday, that's day before yesterday, was kind of a sort of like sad uh, day for our firm. Uh, in a good way, sad, does that kind of make sense? Sad, yeah, kind of happy for one another kind of thing. Do you know what kind of moments you're kind of sad but you're kind of happy? It's called like wedding, you know? But it's not the, you know, when you're in the wedding, Other people may be happy, but the parents and relatives tend to be a little sad to let go of their sons and daughters. At the same time, they're embracing the happiness for them. So at our firm, we have two people who's been dedicating for our company for the last 10 years. We did the life together for the last 10 years, and they have chosen to move on with a great and wonderful opportunity. Well, are sad that they are living, they have defined us, they helped to uh, create a who we are as a firm, but they're moving on. They have a great opportunity that our firm perhaps cannot provide, but beyond, they might be able to. So we did a send off party. So on that last day, I was reflecting on the situation and about life have I done life together with them? Have we done life together? I had to ask this very question. What life have I done together with them? By the way, it's not about regrets, it's just reflecting on it. Now the fact they are moving on, does that mean it's kind of over? Last 10 years, we spent like eight hours together every day. And then I move on, they're no longer with us. Does that mean the life together is over? And I'm going to talk about this more later. But in reality, as we do the life together, what we desire inside of our soul is that we want to be blessing to one another. And we want to be blessed so the question is, where does this blessing come from? Well, we all know the blessing comes from the Lord our God. There's no question. No one here is going to say, well, yes, it comes from our God Almighty. So therefore, we seek him by honoring him during the worship, when we we're praying, We seek him so that we can receive that blessing. Because we know that ultimately the blessing comes from our Lord. But as I was reflecting, but if you ask God, would he say the same thing? If you ask and say, where the blessings come from? Do you think God's going to say, it's going to come from me? Perhaps he might. Depending on the context. But I'm here today to share with you. His answer might just surprise you. I feel based upon having read this Bible many times, studying it, and what I have felt During my challenge days in the hospital, in five months waiting for heart, and struggling with my condition, learning to depend on God, I've concluded: if you ask God where the blessings come from, God would say to us, "The blessings that you seek." The favor that you seek will come from the people as you do the life together. In other words, the blessings ultimately come to us where the rubber meets the road. Where rubber meets the road is where we do life together. That involves friction. That involves arguments. Hopefully, not too bad ones. That involves celebrations. That involves honoring. That involves rebuking. That involves correcting. Where rubber meets the road. That's being together, doing life together. So Romans 12, 18 gives us this prelude. It's this not the main scripture that we read today, but this is a prelude to the scripture that we're going to be talking about. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do What is right in the eyes of who? When you are seeking favor from God, we studied Moses and all the godly men and women of the Old Testament, they sought after favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because ultimately, yes, the blessings come from God. Romans, the day of Jesus, Do not be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's surprising, isn't it? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, which it is, live at peace with everyone. That's finding favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then God's going to pour down the blessings, and show you the path, show you the way. See, that is the description of doing life together. Too often, when we come to worship and we, as believers, we are focused on the vertical element that is like me and God. I pray to God, I don't really care about you. I love God. He loves me. I can hear from God. I can speak to God. This is wonderful and great. But there is a horizontal connection. That's why cross is vertical and this. It's all about others. It is very important that we do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's the description of doing life together. So, what is right in the eyes of everyone? We got all differences. It's all difficult in America where our freedom is sort of free, (laughs) rampant. We do whatever we want, we can say whatever we want to say, and it's just out of freedom, we can do it. What we have learned, as you know, when we can do whatever we want, we can say whatever we want to say, you know what that brings? It brings chaos is what is coming. What is right in the eyes of everyone is doing what is simply good. So Peter, 1 Peter 3 12 says for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous how does he judge whether it is right in his eyes on righteous for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are Attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. In other words, God will be in your side. God is on our side when you live out the righteous way that looks good in the eyes of everyone around us. You see, that is one major component of loving others. Because I'm loving others, and then go around, I don't really care about what you say, what you think. You poo-poo them and ignore them. That's not loving others. Does that look good in the eyes of everyone? No, it doesn't. Scripture goes even further. It says, even in freedom, we are to do life together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. So we are free. Not too many countries can claim this. You can look at this free in two ways. Freedom from government constraints, which we have. Freedom from the sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. That's being righteous. And then it goes on to say... The Bible verse that we just I cited a couple of times already, in the verse 14, the entire law, entire law. What's this about? Some say Jesus, yes, yeah. some say yeah, it's about grace, some say it's about obedience, some says it's about eternal life. They're all correct. But the Bible says the entire law which is in here, several hundred Laws, prophets, it's, that's in there, is summed up to one single command. Now, other places, it says summed up to this and gives two love commands. One is to love your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. That's one. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. There are two love commands. In this particular Bible verse, God takes it a little further to emphasize the importance of doing life together and says, the entire law that's in the Bible summed up in a single command. You can love God all you want. You can pray to God all you want. If you cannot fulfill this single command that's all summed up to the love and grace and salvation, forgiveness, everything, we cannot do this. It may not look good in the eyes of the Lord. To receive the blessing and the favor. What is the single command? Love your neighbor as yourself. And in 15, it kind of qualifies if you don't, what's going to happen? If you keep on biting, devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed. By who? Not by God each other. The Bible is, yes, about God. It's about Jesus. It's about love. It's about forgiveness. It's all about grace. But when it comes to rubber meeting the road, when it comes to application, when it comes to life together, it is all about loving others so that you can do that love. That you can do the life together. In love. So what does it mean by doing the life together? Uh, many of the believers often refer to Acts chapter 2. The believers, they got together. They ate together. They prayed together. They shared everything together. What else did they together? They did it's just about everything together. But the Bible is all about the commands are all about doing life together. It's not only from Acts 2, but as, as we just said in the, in, in the Galatians, that everything, every law is summed up to this. So I'll give you a couple examples. Honor one another. It's doing life together. It's, in, it's, it's Romans 12.10. Live in harmony. That's in the Bible. You know that, right? Care for one another. Be servant to one another. Be at peace and do good to others. Submit and forgive one another. These are all the Bible verses. Confess sins to each other. Pray for each other. It goes on and on and on. So Therefore, the Bible is so correct. Everything, all the laws in the Bible is summed up to this, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's doing life together. And when you apply all these things, that's when we are blessed with his favor in receiving the things that we desire in our lives. And that's how we make music. That's how we make music in life. You think you're kind of lacking a little rhythm in your life right now? Yeah, the turn on the music. and I don't know what I used to use recently. Magic, one, they keep changing the channel. It used to be magic 101, but now it's something else. And I like magic, but, you know, but there's, like, I don't know what they are. You can listen to music to your comfort, but it's only temporarily. That's how we make music. But frankly, including myself, most, many times I find myself doing just the opposite. Yes, on the contrary, instead of doing what God asked, not asked, told us to do, we often get in the trap of doing the life, to life just the opposite to what God expect us to do, just the opposite. Just the opposite to what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't we do that? Just the opposite? So God is saying, like, I, just, I need you to get this. So therefore, I'm, I'm going to tell you like, things that you guys do all the time that's just opposite to the eyes of the Lord and also the eyes of everyone. And he tells us in Proverbs 6, which you have heard many times from me, the seven things God hates and detests. If we do that, we we often think about, well, I do these things, but God's going to forgive me. But the Bible also says you've got to do this thing for everyone around you. What are the seven things God hates and detests? God doesn't talk about this kind of thing that often. This one is, I hate this. If you hate this, you better not do this. If you do things that your boss hates, you'll be shown the door soon. What are seven things God hates and detests? Well, actually, he said there are six things the Lord hates and the seven that are detestable to him. Don't get into this trap. You want a favor from him? You want to receive blessings? Don't do this. The things that he hates. The first Holy eyes. Second, lying tongues. Third, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, the heart that devises wicked schemes. Fifth, feet that are quick to rush into evil. You know it's interesting. Out of six and seven, five of them God uses our body parts to make it so clear to us. It's eyes, it's tongue, what else is it? It's hands, it's our heart. How often do we devise wicked schemes? You better think twice. People around you are not gonna like this. God's gonna say, "Mm mm-mm, he just took away all the favor that I had stored for him. Feet are so quick to rush into evil. Sixth, false witness who pours out lies. How often do we do little innocent youth gossip that it's turning out to be false witness? Related to that, the seventh, the one he detests the most. Detest that means like he hates it. He hates it. And he hates it. A man who stirs up dissension among brothers. You may have read that, and, oh yeah, but he doesn't like, you know, when I do the stir up the bed, you know, the stir up the gossips and things, he doesn't like it. You know why he detested, detested this? Because that directly in violation of doing life together with the people around us. That is directly violating. And God says, do the right thing in the eyes of everyone. And you wonder why sometimes your life is uh, not going well. Oh, like Tim is doing life is good because he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he's got all the money. I don't have the money. I got never born with a silver spoon. My father was like really poor pastor who led leprosy colony missionary. So this is all interrelated. The last thing that God hates the most is about anything that has to do with your neighbors. If you stir up the dissension among your brothers, that's not doing life together. And he detests that the most. So how can you make music? How can we sing a new song of life? How can we expect a blessing from God when we do all these things that is just the opposite to what God wants from us. Last week, I was down in Washington, D.C. I go down there every quarter to do my so-called government duty. I serve for newcomers here. that I served there as director for National Institute of Building Science. That's similar to uh, it's we call NIBS. It's like NIH. Most of you know what NIH is, right? It's National Institute of Health. So people are very interested in your, you know our body. So we know what that is. You know they have like that. So they are responsible for making sure our drugs and our medicine is done properly, the best they can. That's National Institute of Health. Then you've got NASA that's responsible for that, or shooting the rockets, making sure that it's done right. NIBS is making sure all this built environment, infrastructure, of entire infrastructure in the United States is done right for the people. For the hurricanes, for the earthquakes, and all that kind of stuff. We're responsible for research and policies and the codes. So I go down there, every time I go down to Washington DC, There's it's always just automatic, I was reminded, I would get reminded by a politician whom I respect uh, what he said when we had a gathering. It was not the one I was actually went to, it was many years ago. And it was uh, a lot of young people were there, and young being, people in the 20s and 30s, who is aspiring to become like somebody big and you know, in the politics or in government, You know, all that kind of stuff. So they were all gathered in the uh, Congress, U.S. Congress, I forget the name of the building, the the, the major building. And uh, about 50, 75 young people gathered and then there was panel discussion. There's there's a a congressman named um, uh, Mark Kime. He gave a little talk and it was time for question and answer. And uh, after he was done, and all these young people were just admiring him, And the one question was this. Sir, what did you do in your life to become where you are? In other words, how did you live life with others to become where you are? And this congressman, this was not prepared talk. He knew exactly what to say, because he loved it. And he gave those young people three advices, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it, because that represent, in summary, doing the life together. There is a politician, he's a actually young politician, I don't know, he might be around mid-40s right now, he said he lived with us. So I want to share this with you and substantiate it with the Bible verses. He said, "It's too, first, he said, it's too late to make friends when you need one. Ah, I, when I heard that, I, wow, it's too late to make friends when you need one. If you don't do life together, you're not going to have this position. When you need something, when you're in desperate need of something, you need to pick up the phone call and say, oh, who do I call? What about that Johnny over there? Well, I just gave him a hard time about five years ago. What about that Susie over there? Well, gee, I uh, said something bad about him. I gossip, and he's, he's really upset too. I'm sure. That's because we did not do life together. God gave us all these people around us, even people around here, just so that we can do life together so that we can live out as friends. It's too late to make friends when you need one. Proverbs 27:10 says, 18:14. 1824, 18, actually. Proverbs 18:24. A man of many companions may come to ruins, but there is a friend who sticks closer than brothers. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The Bible is full about maintaining friends. It's God-given opportunity, God-given, actually, gift to carry on that relationship. Second thing, then he said, spend more time with your potential enemies than with your friends. That was so profound, man. That was so profound. How do you spend more time with the enemies than your friend? He's already said, in the first, it's too late to make friends when you need one. You already have that friend. Friends will love at all times. So therefore friend will understand but spend more time with the people who dislike you that who have a difference spend more time with them look verse chapter 6:27 says this but I'll tell you who I tell you who hears me love your enemies do good to those who hate you That's a sacrifice. That's loving your neighbor as yourself involved, sacrifice. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I've shared this story a couple times over some years. It's about applying this concept, this teaching, in my workplace. I have, in any industry, any business, you have an enemy. Technically, we don't call them enemy, we call them competitor. We call them friendly competitor, right? That's what we use. You don't use the term enemy. Someday you end up working for that company. Who knows, right? think like this, it's compet- friendly, competitive. That's what we call them. So there was this company uh, that's been sucking some projects for me. Low-boring. Now he's my enemy. <laughs> it's not friendly, competitive no more, right? So during the, uh, in the 90s when we have really bad recession, now. That recession was about equal in magnitude as in 2008 and 2009, it was really bad. So, I had, our firm has a pretty decent reputation. It's about the quality, so there was a client who called me and said, Tim, we have a job for you. I said, that's great, and I gave my fee. He yes, said, that's good. And uh, 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later, he calls me up and, can you do better with this fee? Now, I know economy is pretty bad, so I need this job. Otherwise, you know, I don't know how I'm going to pay my employees. So I reduce a little bit. He says, thank you. 30 minutes later, I got another call from this client. Well, you know, um, I need you to do better lot better. I need this job really bad. Otherwise I have to have another consequence, another decision, we have to like, those were the days I didn't have any reserve in my so I have to let people go if I don't have the job. But I remember the economy was really bad. So I lowered it and he says, finally, he said, Tim, this is your project, we're over, done. Well, there's not going to be no profit. It's just to maintain our staff. Then not 30 minutes, 10 minutes goes by. My friendly competitor, who is now my enemy, calls me. It's 10. Yes. I wanted to say, what do you want? No, I didn't say that. I so said, yes. And then realized my client was on the phone with this guy. He was, because he took full advantage of this situation, a bad economy, he was just, this is the first time ever happened to me in, during my career. And he um, says, Tim, uh, I really need that job. He said, Tim, as you may know, as, uh, you know it's unlikely, r- unlikely of me to call my friendly competitor <laughs> for some a favor, but uh, as you may know, about three months ago, I laid off half of my staff which he did, and we knew that. And um, if I don't get this project in, I have to re- dissolve my business. What a wonderful opportunity get rid of this guy, right? That's what you're supposed to do. It's just a business. That's just a business. But during that period of time, I was in the hus- I mean, I came out of hospital, my, my focus in my life is to do what? To love your neighbors as yourself, love your enemy. And it's like, oh my God, oh no, you know? And uh, it didn't take very much time for me to realize, this guy is in trouble. And then one thing is, if you get rid of this guy, then you're not going to have a competitors, so you're going to make more money in the future, God told me differently. He says, if you crush him, because his company is smaller than mine, if you crush him, a giant might enter into your industry, take you over. That wisdom just hit me right there. Keep your friendly competitor, enemy alive. Love your enemy. So I offered him, I'll give you half of that fee to you. And he says he was shocked, he was just literally shocked. I don't know why I called you. I didn't expect you to give me, but I was, didn't know what else to do because I had to close my shop. And you're offering me half of the, the big fee to us to sustain for a few months. What? God spoke to me at that time was that I didn't think that he, this guy, would ever be able to repay back. His friendly competitor. But you know what I know? God will find favor in his eyes. So when I, when, when I go to different uh, groups and, uh, and I do the same kind of talk, and, and people ask me, okay, Tim, you've been doing pretty good, you know, with your firm, your ministry, and all that kind of stuff. How did, what did you do to make it happen? I tell this kind of story and said, God blessed me because of that sacrifice. What happens to our little mind is, okay, I gave you a favor. I gave you half of my fee when I was, even at the cost of sacrifice, I expect you someday to pay me back. If you don't, you know, now you're in one of these kind of things. I realized that's not the way God works. I loved, with, as, as My, I loved him as myself, I loved him as myself. That's good enough for God. And What God does is he'll find some other projects that would not otherwise come to me, it just lands in our company. And that's how I grew the firm, and they were like really amazed, and that is absolute truth. Spend more time with your potential enemies than your friends. That's the way to success. Proverbs 25, verse 21, 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coal on his head. That's Proverbs. This is just so important that, oh, let me finish. the most, most, most important thing. So verse 22, in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You like that? Amen. That's what you need to believe. If somebody give you bad thing, just, just let the person go. I just lost $20,000 on this. Let it go. God's going to give you 20 times multiple, whatever, different means. That's what you need to believe. God will never let your sacrifice go waste. How you know? You believe in Christ, right? He sacrificed, and then he was rewarded. Three days later, he was resurrected. You must believe in that. Amen. Same thing will happen to us. If you sacrifice, the resurrection, the victory will come to your life. Not through that same deal. Say goodbye to that. You never know what happened to this guy. A burning hip is burning coal on his head someday. And this guy, for 15 some years, never touched us. He never came across my business because he's got a little bit of that, you know, heart, too. So, what I wanted to say is that's, a, that's Proverbs, it's an Old Testament. This is so, how important is it? If some things are repeated again in New Testament, it's, it's a big deal. Okay, so Romans 12.20 resize this Bible verse from Old Testament. Romans 12.20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Exactly, verbatimly spoken again in the New Testament. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's what you must believe. And that burning call on his head is not just the guy that you were merciful, but that same thing happens to God. I like that kid. I like that guy. I'm going to use him one day. I'm saving up my favor when he needs the most. The third thing this congressman said to everybody, oh, by the way, I I failed to say something. When he started to say the three things, he said, just want you to know, because this was not a believer's setting, it's it's sort of a political training, I want you to know I'm a Christian. I am comfortable in saying that. My father was a pastor, and I live by these three principles. Here it is, that's when he revealed it. The third thing he said was, practice ministry of presence. And I, wow, he had ability to condense, That's everything in the Bible, so simple phrase that we all could understand. Practice ministry of presence. Basically what he's saying is, be there for people. How do you expect to do life in your, in your cubicle and being on a computer all the time. Or playing whatever in the computer. Get out. If you hear somebody is mourning, go visit them. If there is a party here, go there too. Be present among the people. Try to go there. Try to go to the place where you can be, you can be friends with your potential enemies or those who are already animals. Meet them. Even though it's uncomfortable, Jesus did that a lot of things that's very, very uncomfortable. We are called to go to places that are uncomfortable. Practice ministry of presence. Just like Acts 2. All believers were together, had everything in common because of delivered believers. They prayed together, ate together, shared together. They did life together. In the first Thessalonian, five eleven. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. How are you going to build each other up without being present in their backyards, in their places? You got to go there. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Go to the parties good parties, and mourn with those who mourn. You have to be present, you gotta go there, you gotta extend yourself. And I was so touched by that, I wrote all three items down, and I tried to make sure I line up, that my life is lined up with this as well. People ask me like, why do you go to all these places? Because I'm trying to practice ministry of presence. You don't have to go. That kids, the, the people over there, like people don't even like you. So going back to the last Friday, and as I was preparing for this message, I did something a little different. Normally when someone moves on, I usually spend time with them privately. I'll usually invite to my office, or uh, go to uh, lunch together on one-on-one, before they have farewell parties. And I often just talk to them, and I usually pray for them, in a very privately, private way. But working on this message, I've decided something that's a little bit different. I invite everyone to the conference room, to those who want to wish well and pray for the people who are moving on. And uh, amazingly, just about everybody in my office showed up. Our boardroom was packed. And so we did a little bit of roasting, and you know, we have engineers, architects, they're not very good at roasting, they're a little too serious. You know, we had some music majors and art majors, I'm sure they know how to do that kind of stuff. All, you know, and they did, you know, but we did what we can. And then we had a words of encouragement, and then we prayed for them. We were all together. That's when I realized, yes, we are doing life together. Not because they're with us, even if they moved on. Even if it's, it's their last day. So that was Friday. And yesterday morning, this per- one person sent me this email. Real nice and sweet email. Tim, I will always be there for you. For you, for Janice and Christina, you are my family and nothing will change that. That's music, isn't it? That's how you make music. She made music for me. Hopefully I made music for her too. God says to make music. Sing a new song. Do life together. Doing life together is not complicated. It's simple. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone is what today's scripture says. Proverbs 12:21, "No harm befalls the righteous. Doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, or translate that He will make sure that you receive that blessing and that no harm befalls the righteous." But if you don't, but the wicked have their fill of troubles. Proverbs twelve twenty eight. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Eternal life. So let us be the life to those around us. And let us make life some serious, some good music, let us play.